Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. And if you've not met me before, my name is Angie, and I've been around in this church probably getting on for three decades now, so I'm getting used to it. Um, Today, we're going to, as Tom said, begin our uh, series of talks on the Sabbath. And today's talk is entitled Rest for Your Soul. So, No prizes for guessing the verse of scripture. It's going to be Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As human beings, we are motivated by our desires. This morning, I wanted to come, which is good. So I got up and got ready because I was motivated by a desire to be here today. And uh, I'm motivated by the desire to go to lunch with my daughter because she's cooking today. It's Mother's Day. So... We are motivated by desires, and sometimes we are driven by our desires, and they control us. And sometimes it seems that nothing is ever enough. In Ecclesiastes, the scholar says, the eye never has enough of seeing or the ear of hearing. Or if you want a more modern take on it, a well-known poet said, I can't get no satisfaction. Thomas Aquinas, who was a 13th century philosopher, asked the question, what would it take to satisfy every human desire? And he came up with the answer, everything. To be fully satisfied, we'd have to go everywhere, see everything, taste everything, touch everything, do everything there is to do. And we know that we can't possibly do that. So, Carl Rayner, who was a Jesuit priest in the 20th century, said, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we learn that ultimately in this world there is no finished symphony. We can never have it all. And the problem is we are finite people, but we've been made by an infinite God And because of that, our desire, our capacity for desire is infinite. Now, you probably know this one. St. Augustine, in his confessions, said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We need to find our rest in God, hence the words of Jesus. And a more modern Philosopher Dallas Willard said, Desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. 
we can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We're only at home in God. That's what Augustine said. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. This desire that we have, if we don't bring it to God and we don't find our rest in God, it can lead to destruction. It can lead to idolatry. We can never have enough. I watched a very interesting program, which you can get on BBC iPlayer if you're interested. It was called The Century of the Self. And it talked about how the ideas of Freud, Sigmund Freud, who said all this about you know, the desires and what goes on in human beings. His ideas were taken by his nephew, Edward Bainers, and they were used, and Bainers became the father of modern PR and propaganda. Because you see, he knew from his uncle's philosophies what was going on inside us. And they even had this idea that all these desires in the human race had got to be tamed and controlled by the government. Sounds a bit sinister, doesn't it? And I watched this program and it talked about advertising and it showed you a very early advert. And in this advert, there was a pair of two pairs of shoes walking along, just mainly saw the shoes. And they said, these shoes are very hard wearing. Then there was another one for a car and they just drove the car <laughs> across the, the screen. This is a good car. But you see, what they realized, especially in America, when they were producing so much stuff and they had to find people to buy it. So they, they said, well, it's no good just the rich people buying the luxuries. We've got to persuade the working man to buy stuff. And they did this by tapping into our desires. Sometimes now I find I watch adverts on the TV and they come on, and sometimes I'm not even clear what they're advertising, because the way they go back, what was that one for? But Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers, the big bank, said this, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things even before the old has been entirely consumed. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. So we live in a society today, don't we, where things become obsolete, where we've got to have the new one. I remember a few years ago, my, my daughter saying to me, Mum, you've had this phone for three years. People normally get a new one. And I'm going, why? It still works and I know how to use it. But apparently the thing is, and I know this, that you've got to have the latest iPhone. You've got to have the latest thing that comes out because it's got a better camera. And even though your old one is perfectly fine, we've been trained to desire the newest thing. And this is the idolatry that we have, but it doesn't do us any good. It just, it just makes us stressed. We've got to work hard. We've got to get the next phone. We've got to get the better TV and all these kinds of things because we've been trained to desire things and not just to buy them because we need them. Another thing that's happened in our society is achievement. We've got to achieve. We've got to, got to 
get all this stuff, but we've got to achieve things. And sometimes we know that now we have all this knowledge because, I mean, I grew up before we really had computers, but now, of course, we've got Google and we've got all these social media things, which I won't talk about because I don't really understand them. I do have a Facebook thing, but I, I don't really understand. But if you see on Facebook or one of these things, whatever they are, that somebody's, I don't know, swum with dolphins or, I don't know, bungee jumped and what they've, they've walked, they climbed Mount Everest, then immediately you think, oh, I ought to do that. I ought to achieve. I ought to do this. But again, it puts more stress on us. And uh, Mayor Friedman, who was a cardiologist said this, he was actually, he was the first person to make the link with his uh, colleagues between stress and heart disease. Discovered that they go together, that stress causes heart disease and all this stress is coming at us. He called it hurry sickness. And he said, he described it as a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. I mean, people now have bucket lists, don't they? Because you know you're only going to live for so long, so you've got to do, you've got to do all the things on this list. I haven't got one. I can't be bothered. But um, people have to do and do and do. They have to achieve. They have to accomplish. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 7, it says they're always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's just constant having to do, having to, to get. And A.J. Swoboda, who wrote a book called The Subversive Sabbath, said, Our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst. We have an inability to simply sit still and be. As we drown ourselves in 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. We've become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. And this is what modern life can do to a lot of us. Well, that's exhausted me, really, just saying all that. But what does Jesus say about it? This time, we're going to go back to the words of Jesus, but I'm going to read them from the message. Same verse, but in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. See, Jesus knew, and God knows, that what we need is to learn how to rest, and not to be frantically pursuing the next goal, trying to get the next thing, filling our lives 24-7, looking on emails and whatever, and just doing, doing, doing. We weren't made for that. And that is why I think mental health is such a big issue in the media. People need to rest. So we need to learn, as Jesus said, to be with him. We need to learn to abide in him. We need to learn 
and have a lifestyle of abiding and not striving. Is Sabbath a brand new idea? No. We can find it right at the very beginning of our Bible in Genesis 2. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God rested on the seventh day. And when he gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he said to them, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do no work on that day. Because he didn't want them to miss out on the rest. They were people who'd been freed from slavery, where probably they'd have to work and work and work. And sometimes we can get ourselves into a different sort of slavery, where we can't free ourselves from the constant activity. But God's answer is rest. Now I want us to look out, look at Hebrews chapter 4, which is quite a long passage, but we'll read it together and talk more about rest that God has for us. Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's from Psalm 95. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. We just read that in Genesis 2. And again, in the passage above, he said, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Just as God did from his, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So he's talking about rest, He's talking about the fact that God rested on the Sabbath. And he's talking about the rest we have in Jesus. Now, first and foremost, I would say that the rest we have in Jesus is a rest from trying to earn our way into God's kingdom. See, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he paid the price of our sin. 
And then he rose again from the dead to show that that had been accepted and he had conquered death. And if you and I believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, and we've made him our Saviour and invited him into our lives, then we can rest from having to try to earn God's favour, to trying to earn our salvation, because we never could. We never, ever could be good enough. If we, if we got up in the morning and constantly did good deeds every minute of every day for the rest of our lives, we could never earn it because we are sinners by nature. But Jesus died for us and he gave us a rest from having to strive to gain God's approval. So we're not meant to strive. But also, you'll notice that he refers to God set in this day of rest. And also, he says that Joshua didn't give them rest. Well, you'd think Joshua, he was the one that took them into the promised land. And we all know, don't we, that when they got in the promised land, they just lived happily ever after. No, they, kept, they disobeyed God, and it wasn't very restful because in the end, they went into exile. But God wants us, as his people, to know how to enter his rest because he promises us that there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's rest, this word Sabbath, Shabbat, means to stop, just stop and be. And it's a rest, it says, from our labor and our toil. And rest is actually a way of life. So Jesus is saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what does this rest look like for the believer? Well, let's have a look. Have we got the chart, please? I've, I've copied this chart down, which I think might help for you. See, thinking that we can rest and abide in Jesus that can become, first of all, a way of life. We can have a restful lifestyle or we can have a restless lifestyle. So have a think about this and see where you are on here. It's not a test, it's just to show you the, the differences. So if you're restful, if, you, if you're a person who is abiding in Jesus and you're restful, then there's, there's room, there's margin in your life but if you're restless, then there's constant activity, constant busyness, constant thinking, always got to be somewhere, do something. If you have a restful lifestyle, then you can take things more slowly. But if you're restless, you'll be constantly in a hurry to the next thing. A restful person knows how to be quiet and just be. Whereas a restless person would have constant noise, even if it's not actual noise around them. The noise could be going on in here. A restful person would be able to have deep and meaningful relationships. That means that when you're with somebody, you are present to the moment. A restless person would probably be talking to someone, but their mind's somewhere else. And none of us like that, do we? We like, to, when we're talking to someone and sharing our heart, we like to know that we've got their full attention. But 
a restless person will, will feel isolated because they're, they've got, they're full of their own thoughts and they, they don't know how to just be, as I said, present to the moment. A restful person can be, have time alone and be calm with that, whereas a restless person seemingly always have in crowded places. A restful person will delight in their life but a restless person's constantly distracted by things that are going on. A restful person can enjoy what God has given them now, whereas a restless person is always looking for the next thing or envying what someone else has got. It was interesting, our financial advisor came out the other day, and I don't know whether he's a Christian or not, but he said something very interesting. He said some people he goes to, they're always saying, when I've got a better car, when I've got the better job, when I've had my wisdom tooth out, when I've learned a language, when I've done this, I'll be happy. But you see, that's restlessness. And I think he put us in the category of people who are quite chilled and enjoy life. And that's all to the glory of God because we, we enjoy what God has given us. And we're learning not to envy. A restful person will have clarity in their mind, whereas a restless person will find that thoughts come in and they'll be confused. A restful person is grateful. I think gratitude is, is a wonderful thing. I heartily recommend it. I get up every day and thank God for lots of things that I can think of to thank him for. Thank him, obviously, for Jesus dying for me, but I'll thank him for the fact that I can see and that I can walk about, you know, and that I have the very breath in my body is a gift from God. If you try and make a list, you'll find that you won't be able to stop. But you see, a restless person is not satisfied. They're always greedy for something else. And so a restful person will be content with their life. This is the season I'm in now. And even if it's tough, I'm content to be with God and I can talk to him about the things that are not good. But a restless person is always discontented. A restful person can trust. Because who knows, our God, our Heavenly Father, can always be trusted. He always wants to do us good. And he can do more than we can ask or think. So we don't have to be anxious, whereas a restless person will be anxious all the time. A restful person will work from love. You know, God, God's our father and he has work for us to do, but just so that we can join in the family business. We don't have to prove anything. We just do what God's given us to do. And it's rather like, I suppose, a father letting his little one help him mow the lawn. The father's really doing all the pushing of the lawnmower, but the little one thinks he's joining in and helping. It can be a bit like that. God gives us things to do, and we're working because we love him, not because he's laid it upon us as a heavy burden. Whereas a restless person is going to be working for love. I've got to show God I can do this, and I've got to show everyone else that I'm a worthy person. I've got to work really hard to get to be well thought of. And we work as a contribution to the kingdom because we want to, because he's with us, because he gives us all we need. Whereas a restless person would be working to accumulate, to achieve. You see, there's this restlessness there that they've got to do better. So what is, how do we begin to enter into this rest that Jesus has promised us? Well, he speaks about um, the day, the Sabbath day. Now, I want to, 
I'm not going to drill down into any detail here because this is what we're going to be looking at on this course and in future work, weeks. But I said the word Shabbat, the Hebrew, just means to stop, to rest, to be. And it is a spiritual practice that we can enjoy. And we have to be intentional about it. And I want to say clearly that it's not about rules and laws. When I was a little girl, I had a friend whose mum and dad were very strict and she went to Sunday school three times a day. And it was considered to be a sin to look in the shop window on a Sunday. And uh, she always wore a hat, bless her. <laughs> we're still friends now. She had to wear a little hat to go to church. And... Um, it's not rules. I mean, Jesus said that, didn't he? When the disciples were picking the corn, he said, look, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Sabbath isn't about let's, let's get a whole new bunch of rules and say what we can and can't do on the Sabbath. Sabbath doesn't have to be a Sunday. The Jews keep um, dusk on a Friday night until Saturday evening. But a Sabbath can be any day you like, really. Just pick one, a day when you can be quiet and be with God. But it does take preparation. So if you're going to, say, have a meal with friends or something like that, you'd have to make sure you'd done the shopping before your Sabbath so that you didn't have to rush around and go to the shops because it's about being peaceful and quiet and calm and just being with God. So it means to stop, and it's a day to stop and to delight in God. It might be a day where you could turn off your phone. I haven't got to that one yet. I like to be in touch in case the children want me. But some people would turn off their phone and put it away, and now that's a radical idea. Feasting, it's a day of feasting. It could be a day where you spend time friends, family, have a meal. You can have a nap if you want to on the Sabbath day. And just spend time with friends, just go for a walk. But it's this day that you take out just to have a quiet, calm day to be with God. But it's not a bunch of rules. And also, it takes preparation. But the final thing I want to say is that it's a progression. I'm not speaking to you today as somebody, I've got this all together. And I don't know if I ever will have. I think it will be, I'm a work in progress. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Philippians 1.6. He began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Christ. So it's a progression. We might start to think about putting some things in place that could lead us into having a Sabbath. But the main takeaway that I want us to know is to think, maybe to begin to think about how we could practice Sabbath, but to know that it's not a heavy burden on us. It just simply means that God, our Father, wants what is good for us. And what is good for us, he knows, because he made us, is that we rest. I see it a bit as stepping off the merry-go-round of a frantic lifestyle. You hear some people say, oh, stop the world. I want to get off because life all gets too much. And Father doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to have peace and rest, be with him. And so on that note, I'd just like to finish by saying that if you feel, I know it's already been spoken about already today, but if you feel 
that you've lost sight of God's rest and God's peace in this in your life, if you feel that you're anxious and you're always busy, I think it would be good to just take a moment now to ask God to renew in you that peace which passes all understanding. And just, if you would just like to close your eyes and just ask God to give you his peace or you can ask somebody to pray for you or you can come out and be prayed for, whatever you feel most comfortable doing. But I do know that God wants to bless us this morning with his peace. He promises to give us his peace that passes all understanding. Whatever is distracting us, whatever is worrying us, we've already said this morning, give it all to him. And Father, we come now and we thank you for the promise of Jesus that we can enter into your rest and that you can give us real rest, rest for our soul. And we just, I just pray for every one of us here this morning that whatever our circumstances, we would know this rest for our soul today and every day. Help us to be people who live a life of abiding, not striving, and resting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is Nen Valley. Dot church.